Well, thank you, Randy, for uh, that introduction. Um, let me say a good morning to all of you. I, I am actually really quite delighted uh, to be here. Uh, I think the last time that I was in this church was when Randy was uh, getting ready to enter his sabbatical. And that was my first meeting with all of you. Uh, Pastor Randy has asked that I would come and speak to you all on uh, the, the topic of contemplative spirituality. And uh, I believe Randy's hope and his desire for all of you is just rock solid. Uh, and it's beautiful. Uh, he has asked me to speak uh, a few times. And um, just to be quite honest with you, I have been a little bit reticent to do so. And uh, some of my own reticence to doing that was because I'm a little, little out of the practice of, of preaching and, and doing too much teaching. I, I do a lot one-on-one -on -one and I lead a few seminars here and there. But I'm a bit rusty, so you have to, you have to be patient or you know, show me some grace as I go through this. But my own reticence or reservation uh, has a deeper connection that I want to explain to you. And I think it will give you uh, some insight, not only really into me, but really to the topic of contemplative spirituality that we'll be speaking on over the next few weeks and exploring together. My reluctance is, is because I, I still see myself very much uh, a beginner in contemplative spiritual practices. It would go against the core of, of, of my person to ever present myself to you or to anyone else as being an authority on this. Uh, there are many people who have walked this journey and have practiced this for so much longer, men and women who have practiced this for a great deal of time, and I'm, I'm grateful for that and I'm humbled by that. What I do give to you this morning is a person who is on the journey of faith with you. Uh, I tell people all the time that I am a longer and a learner. Uh, both of those I want to explain to you this morning. Uh, first, longer. And, and yes, that is a, a made-up word. Uh, I made that up myself. Uh, I long... I long for, in the deepest part of me, to be aware of what is most real. What is most real in me, in you, and in this world. That longing is sometimes painful to be around. It can feel sometimes intrusive. I think I drive my children crazy sometimes when when I ask them, hey, uh, where do you think that's coming from in you? Or what might be underneath that in, in, in you or in others? Or, or is there any other way that we can, can look at this? But that's where I get 
the longing for, the longing to see that which is most important and real. And what is coming into clarity for me about what is eternal and core is that what is central or most important is never tied to that which is passing or on the surface. That what is most real is that which is eternal and core. What uh, Meister Eckhart called the ground of our being, the true ground of our being. Now, I don't think that's new information for most of us. We already know that the world and everything in it is passing away. But what is coming into greater focus or clarity for me may surprise you. And that is how much of me is still finds himself attached and connected to what is passing and using that to navigate life. And so I tell you truthfully this morning, I am a longer. I long to live according to what is most real. And what is most real is what is eternal, divine, and sacred. A key spiritual writer in the 21st century was a man by the name of Father Thomas Keating, and he died just a few years ago. And uh, here are some of his last words that he ever recorded. He said this, he, he said, only the divine matters. And because the divine matters, everything matters. Let me repeat that. Only the divine matters. And because the divine matters, everything matters. Now think about that for a moment. It's a beautiful expression, removing the, or, or, or removing the separation of sacred and secular. But think about it for the time that we are in today and what has been kind of our shared experience over the last 10 months or so in the midst of what is our pandemic, but also of the political and the social climate that exists today. And what has been the experience for so many of us uh, of things around us coming loose, undone, and also of things being strengthened of parts unraveling and new things coming together and taking shape. How each of us know firsthand uncertainty and awkwardness and being off balance in our relationships at work and at church and what is also the rebalancing and the resetting it all matters. Everything matters. And everything matters not because it's about me or you 
or us or, or them, but because of its intimate connection to what is divine. Only the divine, the divine matters. And because the divine matters, everything matters. Martin Luther King said that the arc of the moral universe is long and it bends towards justice. And that's beautiful. But why? Why? Because justice is of God. The scriptures and Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The ark that is long and bends towards justice doesn't just simply bend towards justice, but towards love and peace and kindness and faithfulness. There are times when we question this with all the events and the seasons that we enter in in life when things think, seem so out of control. But God has not left us. The world movement leans toward the Spirit, toward the fruit of the Spirit, even if it seems like it is not. Seen this way, everything then becomes an invitation to the divine, no matter how certain, no matter how dark, and nothing does not matter. Everything belongs. Can we have spiritual eyes to see this and faith to cooperate with within ourselves and with each other and in this world. And I think maybe that's a good way to begin this exploration of what is contemplative spirituality, of beginning to see what is real and how it all matters because of its connection to the divine, to God. Now, Professor Martin Laird um, says that you and I, we are all built for this kind of seeing. And I really like that. We are designed by God to live here in that place of recognizing that God is our homeland and what it seems like or feels like when we are around that which is familiar and safe and good. That's where the arc of the universe moves toward what is good because it is from God. So I tell you this morning, I'm a beginner and I'm a longer and I long to live aware of not separating sacred from secular for me, even, even, even when things spin out of control, the call of faith upon me is to see this. And it is my delight of my faith to see this.
I believe it was the Jesuits who said the completion or the fullness of our joy is to see God in everything. To see God in everything. And so everything matters. Secondly, I said to you earlier that I'm not just a longer, but I am a learner. And so my desire in life is always to be open, receptive, not closed to learning. And so I learn what is old and what is ancient, what is trusted. It's part of the reason why I love theology and studying theology. And I also love what is new, contemporary, innovative. I want to share with you just some things the contemplative journey has assisted me in seeing as a learner. For years, I often thought that the point of education and really all of learning, all of my seminary training and all the things that I was studying was about one thing. And maybe you can relate to that one thing. That one thing that I was doing was to come to a conclusion, to come to a conclusion on a matter. And that seems logical, doesn't it? To come to a solid, studied, singular view on a matter and then kind of hold it with the tightest kind of conviction, uh, airtight, uh, unchanging. And that's what I imagined, and that's what I worked toward uh, when I studied anything, is to come to an a, a airtight conviction solid and unyielding. But what I found in my experience is that anyone who creates such an airtight container, such a rigid belief, can't really live within it. It usually, over time, suffocates them. And what I began to recognize is I was suffocating on some of those conclusions I worked so hard to find. I suffocated under the airtight conclusions that I had of myself. Who am I? Of the church, what are we? How do I look at the behaviors of others? Uh, judging it right or wrong. How I looked at scripture and even how I suffocated under the multiple images I had, and even though they were incomplete images of God, of God. I could say that I also uh, could name how I came to conclusions on matters of race and of sexuality, of family and of marriage. Now, as I'm saying all this, I'm wondering uh, how you are relating to this. I'm also wondering if I'm raising anybody's blood pressure a little bit at all. How you are thinking uh, in yourself toward me. And maybe how you are thinking of the own, your own conclusions and uh, those conclusions you've come to. All of that is important to contemplative spirituality. They are important to pay attention to, 
and to come to awareness with. Each of those reactions that we have inside our lives as we go through this journey, what we feel resonance with, what we have dissonance with, when we have conclusions and those conclusions begin to shift are vitally important to this journey of faith, to this journey of growing in our spiritual development. The development of faith for me for much of my life, up until I was around 45, uh, was tirelessly about doing that one thing that I mentioned, of coming to a conclusion on a matter. Uh, my study of theology, my study of scripture, and I, and I love theology, and, but particularly systematic theology was about coming to have answers to any question that anyone could ever ask about the church or about God or how to live rightly. But it was exhausting for me. And I remember sitting at my, my desk and at my church office and I, I was saying, God, I, I, I just, I can't do this anymore, God. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. Uh, I'm tired of trying to defend you, God. I'm tired of trying to give answers to everything that people come up with, with questions. And I don't want to do that anymore. And in the way that God speaks to us that I can't explain, there was this impression of God saying to me, uh, you don't need to defend me, Mark. I can take care of that myself. I've been doing that kind of for a while. But I thought to myself, well, what about God, the commands of Scripture that says we demolish every arguments that, that people raise up and every uh, pretension that is against God? What about that, God? And again, God said to me, that's good, but it's not just about you. So I got that covered, too. And then God began to impress upon me uh, a gentle question. And it's a question I think we in the Christian church are often uncomfortable with. And that question was, what do you want? Now, I just want to sidebar here for just a second. Wanting, longing, desiring have for a long time been looked upon, down upon within the church as something that is evil, of the flesh, wrong. And yet it is longing and desire and wanting that have been a great source of spiritual growth in the lives of the spiritual writers within the church. What those writers knew and what we often miss or don't see is this, that if you look at a belief, like belief in God, they believe that underneath that belief, there was something supporting it. There was something prior. First, and, and what those writers saw, that underneath belief in God was a longing for God a want, a longing, 
a longing to believe, a longing to have faith in something, someone. Now, we can all know examples of when longing and desire spin sideways, but the longing itself is good. So before there is a belief in God, there is a longing that comes from within us. A longing for God, for what is real. Now, the spiritual writers did something even more amazing. As they reflected on that, that they said, underneath belief is longing, and underneath what comes first before longing is an intuition. They believe that we intuit that there is something more that creates in us the longing that shows itself then in a belief. So far from looking at our longing and our wanting and desires or our intuition as being things that we dismissed, they paid attention to those things. And so I heard God say to me, what do you want? And I remember responding, I want to know you. I want to love you. Not argue for you, God. Not defend you. Just know you. And so what I began to face in my 40s, and I'm 59 right now, was that there were things about me that I was not even fully aware of. I was facing for the first time in my life that, that what I wanted, even more than what I was preaching and teaching people, what I wanted more than faith was certainty on things, certainty of being right, said another way, I wanted more than anything to be right, to be on the right side, not wrong, not insecure, safe. I wanted to be so right on matters of faith that I didn't need faith. So coming to conclusions and being certain was what I was all about. Though I can tell you truthfully that it didn't set me free. I felt a bit trapped and suffocating. Life and people and God are more complex than the simple reduction we have of information and right answers. And so my own experience of God, of spirituality for me, was about knowing right information about God and being certain of it and calling others to it. And I think there is a subtle but profound and important distinction to make between knowing about God and knowing God. It's the same kind of distinction we make every day that we often are not even realizing it. It's the distinction between knowing about relationships and experiencing relationship. Now, let me try to make that very practical. It's the difference between knowing information about my wife 
and knowing my wife. It's the difference between me telling you and giving you all these wonderful descriptions about who she is and you telling that to other people and confusing that as knowing my wife. And I think we practice this in the church sometimes. We do it with God. I can say that I can spend much of my time in the church. I substituted or maybe confused giving information, even right information about God for knowing God. And I think that is the heart of contemplative spirituality, of seeing and knowing God in our experience, a knowing that is personal and experiential. I think this is what Laird mentioned earlier, is what we were built for. Now, I don't want to be confusing on this at all, and so I want to drive it home even a little bit more. Um, we just celebrated Christmas, the incarnation of the Son of God into this world in Advent. What we just celebrated uh, was this reality that God came into this universe. And we can hold that as a right belief, but why God came into this universe was not simply to tell us what we believe, but to allow us to experience an intimate relationship with himself. So now I'm a beginner and I'm a learner. Faith development for me is not ever tied to coming to a single rigid right conclusion on all matters, but one that is learning to discover in this moment from a place of trusting and of tending to and orienting myself toward what is faith and what is hope and what is love. I believe that's the arc that the universe, the world moves towards. So that's my first reticence of speaking. Quickly, I wanna give you the second reason for my uh, reservation. And hopefully it too will help you to understand the contemplative journey. For me, contemplative spirituality is very personal. And with it being very personal, it is also very reflective of the individual. In many ways, I want to say it's unique to me and to what is my experience. And I would never want to pass off to you or to anyone else that my experience is for you or that you have to be just like it. And I often think the church gets into trouble here. We understand that to go make disciples is often the same thing as go make little me's out of everyone people who look like me, talk like me, act like me. But I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind when he told us to go make disciples. Even when he told us to go and teach and obey all the things that he commanded, we often say to people, there is a single way to do this rightly, a single expression of how to walk with God. And we communicate this. You must look like me, act like me, 
for you to identify yourself with us. And then sadly, I believe what happens is the heart of the gospel, the heart of incarnation, which at its core is God's love and his inclusion, gets lost. And it's applied in a way that excludes. Part of the reason I have grown to love the spiritual writers and the mystic writers of the church is because of their capacity to point us, to point us to that which is real. And they remind us all the time that they are only pointing. And so the imagery that they use when they write is often sometimes feels confusing because they, they speak of the spiritual journey as climbing a mountain or being in a garden or in a dark cloud or, or a dark night of the soul. In some ways, though, they provided us a map. But again, just like the description of my wife is not my wife, we must always remember when reading the map that the map is not the same as the terrain that we walk upon. What we all want is God. Now, many can point us there, and I can point you there, but we must always press on to know and experience for ourselves, to never be ashamed of God speaking to the interior of us, of our desires, and saying to us, what do you want? Like Jesus speaking to blind Bartimaeus, when he asks him, what do you want me to do for you? We must hear God say to us, what do you want? Now, someone who has had a great influence upon my own spiritual life and development reminds me all the time when we are meeting that my spiritual life, my spiritual development, my relationship with God is for me. Now, to be honest, I think that's really often very hard, and it's a terribly hard concept for us to grasp within the church. Our ethic of the church is built upon others, being for others, for the sake of others. And I remember as a young man being so motivated by hearing about uh, Salvation Army founder William Booth, uh, saying at a very dark time in the history of their movement uh, that he wanted to send out a single telegram to everybody, uh, just uh, telling them and encouraging them. And he could only come and had enough money for one word. And he sent to everyone that was in within the movement, he sent the word, others too. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, Mark, and now you're telling me that our spiritual life, our life with God is for me? Aren't we to be about the business of others? And yes, we are. But we must pay attention to the spiritual life that God has called us to for our sake. And as we pay attention to that, we learn to give from that to others. Now, I remember in my own life, I would often go on retreat for others. I would spend time in the words in order to teach others that my life purpose and direction had to be for others. 
And slowly I began to realize that I was doing all these things and forgetting somebody. I was, I was forgetting this work of God for me. Contemplative spirituality is about seeing that which is most real, what is divine. It is very personal. It is individualistic. But by its definition, it is never reduced to a technique or a formula. In fact, to try to define it and try to overly describe it is sometimes to lose the very thing that we are after. From what I can tell you about contemplative spirituality, it is most regularly associated with a posture, an internal posture of surrender, of cooperation with something that includes me, but is not just about me. My posture is not one that separates the head from the heart and the mind and the spirit. It holds sacred versus secular. It is one that beautifully and marvelously integrates those into our lives. And so what openness looks like, what surrender and cooperation look like in everyone is unique and precious. It's what we learn to bless in ourselves and what we learn to bless in others. And so I want to bless that preciousness in you and me. So let me just tell you what I'm trying to drive home and where we're gonna be kind of moving in the next few weeks is I never want to pass off to you that my experience uh, and what I'm coming to know is the right way and the only way for you to do this. The best thing that I can do for you right now is to point. But remember that to anyone who points or to remember that any finger that points at the moon is not what's most important. What's most important is you seeing the moon. So to point to the moon, to point to God is not the same thing as experiencing God. And that's what we all want in the end. I want to conclude by just reading to you from a, moat, a quote from Martin Laird. Uh, for you to take and leave with. Martin Laird says these words, we are built for contemplation. God is our homeland. And the homing instinct for the human being is homed on God. As St. Augustine so put it so beautifully, we must fly to our beloved homeland. There the Father is. And there is everything. Would you let me pray for you? Almighty God, our hope and our desire is for you. Not the idea of you, but the experience of knowing you. Have mercy on us as we journey within you. Amen.